make up your mind Decide to walk with me Around the lake tonight Around the lake tonight Welcome everybody to another edition of the Glintelligence Podcast. I am David Marver of Change the Padres, joined by Padres Jagoff. A long-awaited uh, podcast here. And, and Marva, you announced some, some exciting news where currently we're one of the, maybe the only bi-coastal Padres podcast that's out there, but it appears that uh, that may be changing pretty soon. Yeah, uh, I was happy to announce it on Twitter. Basically, I accepted a job that's a remote position, meaning work from home or anywhere, uh, which means that eventually I'll be back in San Diego, i.e. hopefully Carlsbad, but we'll see. It might be somewhere else in San Diego, but... Yeah, very excited. Um, nothing against Delaware, actually. Uh, it has exceeded my expectations for sure. Um, it is America's home of tax-free shopping. It is. Yeah, the diamond state, as they call let's, it here. Actually, yeah. let's discuss this for a second. Uh, you're in a Wilmington suburb, although personally, I living near in the general region, I always considered Wilmington to be an extended suburb of Philadelphia. It is. But, it, I mean, um, like, don't don't tell the people from Delaware that. I mean. Most of the people that work in banking here, they're from Delaware, actually, and they go to Udell, uh, and then they end up working in banking. They're all hardcore Delawareans, but, like, so I live in very north Wilmington. Uh, they, they call it Brandywine, and it's, like, right along the curve where Delaware hits Pennsylvania. I mean, I'm seriously, like, you know, less like than a could, football field from Pennsylvania. You could just easily be Westchester. Yeah, there's no differentiation. Like, when you look at it from a map and from, like, Google Earth, it's, like, it's not like there's a border and all of a sudden things change. It's like there's it just keeps going. So it's a Philly suburb. The other thing with Delaware is if you if you haven't been to the area, the the main like we've got Interstate five, they've got Interstate ninety five on the on the East Coast, and you're driving from I don't know, let's say Washington D.C. to New York. You get to Delaware, and you're in Delaware, assuming there's no traffic, but there's always traffic. You're there for literally ten minutes, and like you're in, it says Delaware, home of tax. You're home for tax free shopping. And then ten minutes later, you pay three tolls or four tolls or whatever, and then you're in New Jersey. Like it's the most insignificant state there could possibly be. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's I mean, like entire, it's, it's entirely supported off of bridge tolls and and Highway 95 toll or Interstate 95 tolls. So we actually don't even have tolls on the 95 here. I think you're referring to Maryland, but. Um, Is there no toll? There's not a toll when you cross the Delaware Memorial Bridge. Uh, de- there is not. There's only coming back from Jersey. Okay, so they're getting tolls. They're getting tolls, right? There's definitely uh, a Jer- toll booth when you cross into Delaware from Maryland. I apologize for TV in the background. No. No, so uh, as you enter Delaware from Maryland, you pay a toll. But that's actually not for Delaware. That's for Maryland. Uh, and exit. as you... Of course, of course they would <laughs> charge you to leave that awful state. And the same thing happens when you leave Jersey and enter Delaware. You pay a toll to Jersey, not to Delaware. Huh. All right. But well, so when you so Delaware. your your version of going through Delaware is, I think, what most people do, which is, if you're driving from D.C. to New York, you actually you get on the 95 in Delaware for like two minutes, and you get on the 295 and cut cut away uh, cut over to Jersey. But if you're going to Philly, you take the 95 all the way through, and you're there for I think it's 10 exits. It's seriously like 10 miles. Um, so maybe about twice as long as, as your route, but yeah, there's, it's a very small straight, like yeah. for sure. Alter- like, alter- we'll-, alter- well, alternatively you go to Wilmington and then 
you basically turn off at 95 and you want to go to Philadelphia. So you, that means that you're, again, crossing Delaware in like 10 minutes before you're in Westchester or whatever. Yeah. Now, if you go to the beach, it's a different story. I mean, it's two hours from here all the way to the Delaware coast, but, but that's it's a very long, thin state. terrible to get over there. Yeah. It's, there's just like one freeway with two lanes on it. Basically, that's your only option. But anyways, I'm excited to go home, uh, friends and family, and, you know, starting a family there. So uh, very excited with the news, and um, it, it's a good position, too. So I, right. it's and just all around great. For purposes of the blog, I think uh, – I don't know if you've been reading this week's this week in Pottery's Twitter, Marver, but you have crossed into the three-digit three number of days since you actually last wrote something. Is, is yeah, this going to re- reignite your, your excitement for the San Diego Padres? I think it will. I mean, going to games certainly will provide more opportunity. And just like it, it, it really is difficult to watch games on the East Coast, especially when they're bad late in the season because the games start so late. You know, like any – like September, for example, is mostly games played against NL West teams, and all those games start at best at like 9 p.m. here. Um, you know, Padres have some start times that are like – 10:50. So it's like, how much of that do I really want to watch when it's Clayton Richard, you know, on a team that's not even tanking successfully in a meaning, you know, like how how late do you really want to stay up for that? So, and we've, um, we've talked about this, like from from my experience on the East Coast, and like thinking about it more, I'm out here and I don't know how many games I watched in the last three weeks, maybe one or two, like fully sat down watched a game. Um, but for me, it's a question of, well, do I want to watch this game or do I want to go do something else? Like, do I want to go for a run or go to the gym or go out or eat or whatever? For you, it's the question of, do I stay up? It's 1030 right now. Am I going to stay up for this and give up sleep, which is literally a building block to continue living? Or, uh, or do I, do I watch Clayton Richard throw this? this game <laughs> yeah and even if you want to stay up you could you could do things other than watching the Padres right you could watch something on Hulu or whatever streaming services you have so it's not even like it's not even like the choice necessarily is go to sleep or watch the Padres it's go to sleep or watch something else really right or do something else yeah but yeah uh, I imagine I will be writing more I'm also getting married very very soon here in the future so there's just been a lot of things going on but um, I have been fully planning of doing a lot of off off season talking again because I don't think novel idea. What if you wrote this week in Padres Twitter this week? I could do that. I would love to give a Jaggy award to get to like someone with a completely nothing tweet. I think that would be great I, just I to soil the brand. It. You know what started as like a, a like a, what was intended to be like a twenty minute exercise has turned into like three hours to write that. It, it's hard. There's a lot of a lot of content when you don't write anything else except for this week in Padres Twitter. So, yeah, I mean, to take that on this week. It's a lot of info last to regurgitate. Get to the end of season Jaggy Awards. Oh, I didn't even know you were doing that. That's what you call a tease in the business. Yeah. All right, let's get down to some actual topics. I mean, this is sort of the oh, end actually, of the. Real quick, yeah. before we get on that, I did okay. write something last week. Did you read it? Did you read the uh, points and miles? Uh, post that I put up there. I read about two thirds of it. I mean, it's the, it's different for me because I'm already like versed in it, right? But right, but I, I found that it's a topic that resonates with our readers. Actually, I went to the Padres game last week, and um, I've been doing some behind the scenes coaching of listener and uh, prominent organist Bobby Cressy, 
Uh, and I received a lot of different questions from people that are just really interested in it because it, if you're not well versed in it, it's almost it's almost eye opening to, to to discover this world. Um, yeah, and it's one of those things where before you do it and like take advantage of it, as soon as you start doing it, you're like, shit, how much did I leave on the table over the past few years? So um, yeah, but it's I don't also know how long you've quite been in rewarding. The game, but yeah. I, I told Bobby Cressy, I think, this story about how I don't, I don't know a few years before I did it. There was the ultimate scheme where the U.S. Mint was encouraging people to use the Sacagawea dollar coins, and you could use a credit card and buy them and get free delivery through the mail of just a box of coins. And then all you have to do is roll them, go to the bank, deposit it, and then pay your credit card bill. It's like a, it's a perpetual motion of machine of points, and I missed yeah. it because I yeah cause most I of those we 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 see those told, things like, too. Um, we like so I, I work for credit card company where basically i write the authorization rules for them so when to decline when to approve all that kind of crap um there's a little bit more to it but um we see people all the time try to take advantage of these things whether that's through like some sort of scheme like you talked about or um maybe prepaid it's gift cards yeah prepaid gift cards and you can kind of sell it and make some sort of thing but all those violate your terms of use by the way like all, well, all of the companies have up- updated their terms of use so it, it, it is true you can do that, but uh, no, they, they'll just, like, kill your card and, like, put something on your credit report. So Never had it done. Never had it done. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a – you're reaching the days where those sort of schemes are probably going to go away at some point. But, um, yeah, the Sacagawea one, I didn't know of that one. Uh, that would have been quite awesome. Yeah, yeah it's essentially amazing. just, like, free, free money. I have heard stories of people who have uh, taken advantage of – like a poorly established point system and gotten like a free home mortgage, like literally paid for their house over a series of a few days, like that sort of level of scam. Yeah. Every once in a while, some some business person at one of the main banks approves a some sort of reward scheme that doesn't consider some weird weird opportunity for one or two strange people to take advantage of. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it's interesting because uh, I'm leaving a bank, so I work for one of the big banks and. You know, you get perks working for them. One of the perks for me is that I don't have to pay my yearly fees on a lot of these credit cards. So I've been able to really take advantage of stuff like that. So uh, now I'm going to have to start paying for it because I'm joining a software company. So it's going to be uh, another opportunity for me to reconsider which cards I have and, you know, again, you know, get more points by opening up Real new quickly, lines. Real quickly, like I told the like story. I told the story of how for five, what's it been? It's been six years now. I haven't bought a plane flight. Um, I mean, do you have a personal success story of the points and miles? I mean, my, I mean, mine is probably, in general, not having to pay for flights and freedom. But, I, I mean, you know, I flew first class to Europe two years yeah, ago, I, mean, I think, last that's, year. Um, that's that's most of mine, too. Like, I, have, I think I have four free flights this year. Like, all but one of them have been free essentially also so um and the one that wasn't free uh i was basically flying with someone else so it's a little bit more difficult to book it that way but uh did you fly with spirit oh you're flying with literally another person got it yes 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 um no i i hate spirit airlines by the way i have a long long story about a vegas trip with spirit airlines that i'm not going to get into here on the podcast anyone that's listening that flies spirit uh this this entire conversation is probably not for you let's yeah. put it that way yeah it's really not um also there's a lot of fraud on credit cards from spirit so i just have a deep hate for hatred for them in my heart because i'm responsible for fraud but uh anyways yeah 
yeah, it was a good good thing. I'm sure there's a lot more to talk about as it goes on that. And there's uh, there's just so well, much. Real quick, beyond yeah. behind the scenes blog talk. I don't know if you checked the drafts, but I actually wrote a part two and I held off on publishing it because the Mexico City earthquake happened, uh, and it was about going to Mexico City, which which may not even happen for the Padres. It sounds like it sounds like they're going to be playing in Monterey, which is personally great because I haven't been there yet. Uh, is it in bad taste to publish that, given given the earthquake in Mexico City? Maybe I haven't read it. I'll go take a look. I mean, it's basically like here's how you go to watch the Padres. There, here's the hotel to stay at. It's really cheap. It's in the Centro Historico or whatever by the Zocalo. Uh, I just didn't know if it was like in bad taste to try to get people to go to Mexico City right now. I don't know. I mean, I haven't followed it too closely. I don't think it's. It's not like it's a war zone there, right? It's like there's obviously no. a lot of collateral damage the, and some some deaths and all that kind of stuff, but um, it's, not it's like it's, like it's a huge major gold. city that's gonna yeah, with be steel yeah. and glass skyscrapers and stuff. Yeah, like yeah. New York City. Right. I no. I think you're you're fine. Publish it. All right. Fine. Fine. All right. Let's talk Padres. Yeah. Let's do that. So this is the end of the year podcast, pretty much, um, and. We can talk about all the other things, but there's a bunch of other podcasts. They're going to cover all your main your main things. Was the tank a success? Blah, blah, blah. All those sort of topics. Um, I have a couple questions. They're really just the big picture ones. The, the, the one I think that most matters to me, and I'll, I'll just pose you with the background and then get your answer, is are we any closer to the World Series than we were before the year? Meaning, before the season, I might have asked you, Jagoff, when is the next time the Padres are going to compete? And you might have said 2020. Uh, now the year has come to pass. Do you still feel it's 2020? Do you feel like maybe it's 2009.8 versus, you know, before the year is 2020.2 or something, you know? Like, has it shifted at all? And the main reason I ask is because for years and years, like under Josh Burns, for example, I felt like, you know, 2000 whatever would happen. And a season would go to start and I'd say, when are they going to be good again? And I'd say five years from now. And then next year would end, and I would ask myself, all right, is it now four years away? And I'd be like, no, it's still five years away because we didn't do anything this year to better ourselves. So that's what I'm really getting at. Did we actually do anything to better ourselves? Are we actually closer? I don't know if it's come sooner, if it's coming sooner, but I would argue that it's more likely. So I'm not sure which question you were asking. If I were still to put a year on it, are we talking to win the World Series? I mean, I let's let's just say big. I think it's twenty. I think it's still twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two. Okay, but I mean, if, I if guess you're saying, if you're saying, what's the likelihood that it will happen? Yeah. Let's let's say somewhat in the near term, like within the next five six years. I think the odds are higher than they were when we started, and a lot of that's based on we're so used to like having a prospect that gets, let's say, has an initial debut that's great, and, and people start talking about them like. It, just in my head, like the name Cullen Kolbaki pops in my head. Like, okay. tore up his first stage of the minors. Um, and then I think he got hurt, right? And just never became anything. And this year's a little different in that we had minor league advancement, development of, of key players without any, without really any noteworthy, ma- I mean, there's, other than, I'm not going to say any, there are some. But there are less than, than we Padres fans are accustomed to having. You know, Espinosa obviously is a black mark on this, but um, we saw like real advancement in general across the board of, of of key players. And then we also had players come out of nowhere that 
are now, you know, possible key players in the future. Um, but to me, a lot of those players are still. I think a lot of fans are like, well, they're going to pop up in the major leagues in 2019, 2020, and then they'll be ready to go. And I think in a lot of cases, a player may make a debut in the majors, but they're not really going to be at World Series level performances for a year or two into their major league career. And like, you really need a lot of those things to happen at the same time. And so I'm still on the same time frame I've always thought of 2021, 2022, but I think the odds are higher of success. Yeah, that's a pretty good way of looking at it, and I I don't disagree with that at all. Um, I would say, yeah, kind of going back to what you said about the we you know we have a prospect, they have a good debut, and nothing really comes of it. Um, I think the the biggest thing that came out of this season is, and and we could we'll probably talk about it more is not is not necessarily that I think the first wave was slightly disappointing. Right before the year, I think we talked a lot about. That first wave of talent coming up being Margot, Renfro, and Hedges. To be honest, I thought I, I thought they were mildly disappointing. Now, Margot, I still think, has a ton of upside. I think he played very well towards the end of the year. Uh, Renfro, I see the talent, but there's just so many question marks there. I, I just don't know if he'll ever actually be a positive contributor outside of just the home run category. And Austin Hedges, the bat is a giant question mark. And if they ever go to an electronic strike zone, of which you now kind of hear murmurs about... You know we're in some serious trouble with his with his uh, value. So it's not even that. Like I, I know we placed a lot of evidence, uh, emphasis on that in the preseason. I think the main thing for me is that well, the fact that they look like real it looks quick, like, like the we, first wave. Yeah. Is yeah. the first wave the? I I would argue it's the least important of the waves. No, given, I don't. Given the I don't players disagree. we're talking about. Yeah, I don't disagree. And 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 I think again, I guess the point I was going to make next is just that the main thing to me is. I feel like for the first time in really, really long, the Padres have a potential superstar prospect on both offense and pitching, right? Like, I don't think anyone would object if Fernando Tatis Jr. is a top 5 or 10 prospect next year. Some would say you're crazy to not even put him in the top 10. I think the same thing almost applies for Mackenzie Gore. And so, you know, to have that sort of two superstar players coming through your system, it's been a really long time since they've done that. So just the fact that you're really... Like, if both those guys hit as superstars, and it's really not that long of odds of either of them doing it, I mean, that's a whole lot of value to the franchise, to the point where they have so many other small prospects that have been moving along, even if they had slightly disappointing years, like Cal Quantrill or whatever. Enough of those guys, I think, will produce value that if you get those two superstars, which is not that unrealistic now, I think you can actually compete. So I think I think you're right. I don't think the, the window shifted, because both those guys I just mentioned are 18 and 19, but I do think the odds of it happening became higher. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like when we had Burroughs and, and Peavy. Yeah. Is that, is that what it's like? <laughs> God. Oh, man. Burroughs are, are probably I mean, the highest rated prospect ever in history. Yep, he is. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously risks with those guys, right? And to be fair, Fernando Tatis Jr. hasn't produced at all above the eighth above a ball in fact his double a numbers were i would say somewhat disappointing but it was very limited and he's extremely young so like i'm not gonna weigh it very strongly other than the fact that his promotion to double a was actually probably warranted so the fact that he even got to that level to me is fairly important um and i i don't know i obviously it's a high school pitcher we've he's only thrown a couple innings in rookie ball but Guys that have debuts like Mackenzie Gore did out of high school, 
very often turn into star pitchers at the major league level. So um, there's always risk there, but uh, just to see that actually happen and not bust immediately is a huge issue or a huge uh, yeah. accomplishment. Yeah. And I mean, I think Gore's like, he's a guy to get excited about, right? I mean, a lot of our other pitchers in the minor leagues are, are kind of shaping up to be maybe like mid rotation type pitchers, right? I mean, Quantrill, Morahone, I don't know about Baez. I'd like to see continued success from him before we start jacking ourselves off about him. But uh, Gore is like the he's our he's our great hope, right, for the pitching staff. Yeah, I would say he's definitely the one A. And then you know you have your Lowers and your Lucchese's, and I guess you kind of have to throw Quantrill in that mix again as maybe a a number three year later at this point. Although you know a good year could like I wouldn't be surprise if Quantrill ends up being more than that it's just you know when you're taking stocks and you're trying to plan for the future you got to be more realistic about things and at this point his numbers have been a little bit pedestrian to double a um so yeah i think a lot of those guys and, do and profile I'm as mid to late rotation him. guys i watched him at yeah. elsinore and and like it's he's kind of blasé you know i, I don't yeah. see uh i don't see an ace for sure yeah um but i think there's still some more upside guys i mean just you mentioned Baez, and that's one. I actually think Morahone sells a ton of upside. That strikeout to walk ratio is really difficult to ignore at his age and that pedigree and the stuff that he has. Like I'm not, I'm not concerned about anything with him. I think at this point, I, I still think he's got upside of a top, you know, number one guy in your rotation sort of deal. Although I would agree that it's less likely than Gore, probably by considerable multiple, you know, considerable. Uh, multiples of yeah. whatever probability. <laughs> yeah, like. Sure, yeah, whatever the term you want to use there is. But I would say uh, some of the other guys, I mean, Chris Paddock, we, we forgot about him, but his debut out of high school was just as good as Mackenzie Gore's. I know he doesn't have the stuff per the scouts, but... He's a, he's a change-up guy. Like, yeah, change guys kill at the lowest levels. Yeah, and then you got they Anderson kill. Espinoza. So, look, I, I think there's still a decent amount of upside in the in the pitching. It's just young, and uh, but the thing that's is, why I don't start, think the window shifted. When you start making the window 2021, like, you're talking three more drafts before then. And you're talking there, – there are a lot of guys in the draft that are like um, – let's say like Kyle Wright this in this past draft that are almost major league ready. Like Kyle Wright tore through the minor leagues, as you would expect, you know, a mature college pitcher to do. And like, you know, he's could be in the could be in the majors next year. Like, so you start thinking that three more years go by by the time you get there. You get a mature, you know, that's three more years to, to draft, um, hopefully, top players. And that's a lot of opportunity to backfill with, as needed with, with closer to the major players, right? And, yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen with free agents. Uncle Ron and, and Eric Grubner are really, uh, really slow playing the possibilities of any big free agent signings honestly it sounds uh, like which, nothing yeah which is not really extremely disappointing exciting. yeah it's, yeah it's, it's it's more hat all over again so it really is i don't know how much we can count on that you know especially you factor in like things like the last big contracts that uncle ron had he got burned by badly you know james shields was a disaster uh matt kemp was you know we're still they're still paying him so, um, no, are they paying him? They're not paying him. They're paying Oliveira. But whatever, they're paying, you know, eight-figure checks out. Um, so, I mean, it kind of makes sense, I guess, that he's gun-shy, you know, 
given but, how cheap he is. But yeah, but that I mean that's such a terrible when line I, of when reasoning I say though because when I, I, I understand. I understand yeah. where he's coming from. I do not agree with it because they are immensely profitable. No, it's not even the profitability, which is not an argument that anyone can make. You know, to the contrary, it's it's more that like I feel like a lot of the reason why Kemp and Shields were the guys that got contracts is that. They tried to build it up all in one offseason. And when you do that, it's a limited market. Uh, you only have so many choices you can actually make. That's why you should be consistently finding, you know, those Lance Berkman for three years and $30 million at the end of his career sort of deals. Guys that end up being tremendous values for uh, several seasons and consistently signing them so that you never find yourself in a spot where, oh, we think we can compete. Now we have to add players like only this offseason. What are the choices? And everyone knows you're doing it. So you end up getting stuck with Matt Kemp and James Shields when if you had done it slower over time, you might have been able to get guys with better returns on your investment. So I think I think the lesson they should learn there is that you can't do it in one offseason and you actually always have to be looking and you always have to be gauging the market, right? So um, my hope is not that they sign no one, but that they're, you know, obviously they should be more judicious than they were in that one offseason, but they should be looking every offseason because if they can sign a guy now, um, you know, that in two years is still going to be producing and potentially at a bargain, well, they should do it now. It doesn't even matter if the value over the next two years isn't that much to them. Right, and let's be very frank here. Um, I, I've written about it with all my Luis uh, Robert writing. Like, I, I broke down what the payroll was. Like, even counting, you know, the penalty, the bonus penalties, the international signings, they're, this year, I don't have any real qualms. Like, they were right where they should be, right? Even... The bonus uh, penalties were paid this fiscal year, and so given that they're right about not quite where they should be, but they're you know they're they're over a hundred million dollars. Next year, you're looking at forty million dollars, even with Clayton Richards' money, um, which isn't that much. Um, Three million. <laughs> yeah, you're looking at a forty million dollar payroll. There's no international windfall to spend on. The Padres insist on counting their draft. Uh, budget in with their payroll, unlike any other major league team. But given where they're going to be drafting at about seven or eight, nine, um, that's ten, not that's a 10 huge million. expense. Yeah, yeah ten not, million dollars. Uh, they got to spend it on something, you know. So if they sign, I don't know, some player for three for thirty, three three years, thirty million dollars, like it's not a franchise killer here. No, that's nothing. Um, they they could sign a player for a hundred million. It, it, it's like a drop in the bucket. And I think we're both saying they shouldn't do it just to do it. I, I right. Mean, I think there have been times in history where I would be satisfied with that, where I'd be like, well, at least they signed someone and they're trying. But we're not at that point. Like, there's an actual plan here. So, like, if they if AJ happens to see an opportunistic player that may not make sense for 2018, where they are almost undoubtedly going to not be good, um, take it. Yeah. Like, like if there was if, like if like if there was like a top twenty. It's worth yeah. it's worth a shot. Yeah, and like here's an example: shortstop. Like, I'm not sure Fernando Tatis Jr. will end up at shortstop. I, I know there's differing opinions on that, but there's been a lot of guys that have come up as shortstops that have to get moved off for one reason or another. And so, until he actually proves at Double A that he can play good defensive shortstop, I'm going to go ahead and bank that he's not. So that means that if you want to be good in 2020, you got to find a shortstop solution by then. I'm not sure the guys you signed internationally this year who are 17 playing for you are going to be ready when they're 20. So if and in the next three off-seasons... That's not something to right. plan the Major League team around, you know, around a 17-year-old right. in the Arizona League. No, totally agree. And so that's why I would say that, like, 
it's one of those things where you look at the you, you don't go into 2020 offseason like going into 2020 thinking all right now i need to add a shortstop you need to be looking at every single year until then saying all right is this the offseason in which there is a shortstop on the free agent market that will be good in 2020 and that's when you get them because if you wait too long your options are extremely limited like if they do another eric ibar and then next year comes around and they do another eric ibar and then you know the offseason before 2020 comes around they're like well shit we've only been playing eric ibars and the only free agent available is like you know i don't know some guy who's not very good well they (laughs) just wasted (laughs) (laughs) yeah then you know they put themselves in a bind just trying to nickel and dime the payrolls in the prior two years so if you're you got to take a big big picture look at free agency all the time this is how you get an alexi ramirez or uh, uh, Eric Ibar. Like, that's what happens when you just sit there and wait for whatever happens to be left over on the market. That's honestly how you get a James Shields. He's yeah. The, and that's what I think you're saying is that um, if you try to rebuild every – like, a lot, I think a lot of fans are like, well, in 2019, they're going to be spending. And uh, the problem with that is that then you're only choosing from the 2019 store. But yeah. if you're shopping in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020 – then you can choose the best products out of all of those stores rather than settling for what one store has. Because when right. you settle for what one store has, you you wind up with something that's just left on the shelf. Yeah, and it's also just like much more like – it's just a riskier proposition because you don't know who else will want to shop from that same store in that same year. you know. And so if you go – maybe there's going to be two good free agent shortstops going into 2020. I don't know. But what if there are four teams looking for it? Whereas if you got the one this year, you know – it's more of a sure thing that they're on your roster in 2020. Like, I think that's – those are the sort of big picture things that I'm, I worry about them um, when I hear them talk about free agency and stuff. I feel like sometimes they don't they don't necessarily get that concept. I think they're much more – take things year to year in terms of how they plan. And when you take things year to year, you don't actually have a plan. Right. Um, I, think, I think last thing on this, um, you – so, so payroll's $40 million. Like, would you as a fan be satisfied if Ron Fowler went on the radio and said, uh, look, payroll's going to be low. Uh, we're probably not making any big signings. Um, but I will bank that money and I will spend it in the future r- rather than an ambiguous, uh, hey, when we're ready to compete, we'll spend some bucks. Uh, like 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 a formal promise to spend that excess money in the future to exceed uh, to have a payroll that exceeds what revenue can support. Would you that verbal commitment publicly? Would you be satisfied with that? Uh, verbal commitment? I don't know. But like publicly if, on the air via the media. Look, I, I I would be I would be pleased if he said that. I, I still don't know how much you can believe it. Like that's the other part of it, but. Because saying it is very easy to do, right? If if I said, yeah, I'm going to be placated for the next three years if you just say this thing, well, I think most people will just go say that thing and just deal with the repercussions in the future if they don't do it. So I think that's a sensible plan, though. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the plan of, all right, here's the $60 million or $80 million we didn't spend this year. Let's invest it in something that gives us 5% year over year. And then, you know, in three years, we're going to have 100 four million dollars to go out on the market with above and beyond what we already can support with our payroll i think that's a totally fair thing to do i would strongly support that it's just well, a, it's openly, a question it's openly of whether the diamondbacks it's openly what the diamondbacks did 
like that's how they paid for the Zach Granke acquisition. Yeah, you know, I they, mean, and you know, at the time we didn't really think they were competing, but I mean, obviously they're in the playoffs this year, so whatever. I mean, hey, if that's them. the cost for if that's the cost for uh, Otani, I'm all in. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, well, at least for me, I, I think that a public, open, overt statement like that at least provides some accountability, but generally, I'm not satisfied with the, uh, hey, uh, we're going to, we'll spend when we, uh, when we get there. I, I don't like yeah, open then, promises like that. Yeah, because if there's not, like, a quantifiable amount they put down, like, yeah, we'll spend when we get there, and then they just spend whatever revenue can support in those years, that means they just pocketed a bunch of money, essentially. Right, and, and yeah. to be clear here, spending up to the revenue is would be a record of uh, of salary here. Like people think, two thousand fifteen was this big windfall of spending. It wasn't really that high. It wasn't. Forbes shows that their you know their break even point is about one hundred thirty five hundred forty million dollars, and we haven't even sniffed that. Even with you know international bonuses and signing penalties and whatever, we haven't sniffed close to that. So, my greatest fear is that. They roll out, you know, after five years of inflation that's not really accounted for by the fan base. Uh, they'll roll out a $125 million payroll, uh, and they'll say, well, this is a record franchise payroll that we're fielding here, and that'll be that. And then the, the $80 million of profit from 2018 are, are vanished out into uh, shareholder equity. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, sometimes it does just feel like a giant racketeering thing. <laughs> It really does. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, Uncle Ron, you know, directly promising that, or Eric Gruppner, well, whoever, promising that, that would mean a lot to me. But I guess that's me. Uh, was Eric Gruppner a, a slip of the tongue, or is that like a new nickname? What, Eric Gruppner? Oh, I thought you said Error Gruppner. No, I'm not a hack. I'm not that much of a hack. Okay, Marver. okay. I mean, I have Cranapa. What do you think this is? Canapa? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Ah, the unsocial media is out there coming up with clever names like that. Uh, That's probably a good segue for another topic of... uh, I'm probably segue into expected changes this offseason. Because we were talking about the shortstop, and that's, you know, obviously Eric Ibar is not... I don't know if it's obvious that he won't be here next year, but uh, he's not under contract for next year. Um... I saw Dennis Lynn in his mailback was like, well, I think it's I think it'd be a good idea to trade for uh, Jose Iglesias, who has one year left on his contract. Because uh, he would give good defense to the pitchers that we care about, like Travis Wood and uh, Clayton Richard. <laughs> like, is there a worse idea than that? Um, I'm sure there is a worse idea, yeah. Uh, give me a second. Um, they could let, trade for a in, player that's more in expensive. General, let's say, in general, trading prospects for a one-year shortstop terrible idea right yeah regardless of who that shortstop is i'm not sure anyone can come up with a way in which that is salient with a long-term plan like i don't see how that makes any sense like ibar makes more sense and ibar doesn't make sense i'd be fine with ibar again honestly like only if you're tanking even if well they're not gonna win. They're not gonna win next year, are they? Like, I know you're. They might win some more games. I, I, I think, think they you got have some a different bo- time frame in mind than me, but I don't see where the games are coming from. <laughs> like, 
I mean, I think there's going to be natural progression from Hedges and, and Margot, and then I think you get some of those double-A pitchers will be ready or close enough to ready that I think, you know, when you're looking at the – you know, this year when a guy got hurt, when a pitcher got hurt, it was like, all right, we don't have Jared Weaver anymore, now what? And it's like another really shitty option. But pretty soon it's going to be like, okay, we started the year with these, you know, Travis Wood, and of course he sucks. Well, now what are we going to do? And we're going to look at, you know, what's next – on the list for us and it's going to be an actual prospect and i think that that starts next year with lauer lucchese and, and quantrill in my opinion so i think the the low end of what could happen is kind of muted just based on that fact and they have so many middle infielders that are not shortstop either that like i feel like there's a, a decent amount of depth not it's not good depth really i mean it's like just it's just depth that prevents them from losing so much you don't think it's the bullpen because i think it's the bullpen I think the bullpen is the biggest factor in outplaying their Pythagorean record, which right now would be like 59 wins. Yeah, I think that's a decent part of it for sure. Um, like, or I, I don't fairly large like, part of it, I highlighted it, it in this week in Pot- Pottery's Twitter, but like Craig Stammen's numbers with runners on base are, are otherworldly, and they're fluky. It's totally a fluke, but uh, it's otherworldly what he's done in those situations. I would say the biggest problems this year were, yeah, yeah, Brad Hand, the fact they didn't trade him at the deadline, that, you know, keeping a guy like that also hurt us down the line. Chassin, I mean, he was worth a couple wins, and if we could have... Claydick. Claydick was worth a couple wins. Uh, I, but, but really, like, I take Claydick? issue with those, with that Fangraphs number, by the way. I do. I think there's going to be... So the, the way those Fangraphs ones work, they're really heavily regressed based on ballpark stuff. And I think there's going to be a slight correction to Pecco at the end of this year. So I think all the pitchers look better than they actually were. So I, I would know, like I don't even think it's the starting pitchers. Like I mean, they've outperformed a little more than we thought. But uh, Denelson Lamette really, helped re- a lot too, by the way. Did help, yeah. But I, I really think it's guys like Craig Stammen, Kirby Yates, Brad Hand, um, that that elevated this team above where they should be. Yeah, and Jose Perella. I mean, they're just like guys that don't matter, really. Like a lot of guys that don't matter played better than they should have played if you were really trying to tank and get a top pick. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. For 2018, though, like maybe we differ on this. And Like if I were to give like a, a minor league pitcher of the year, a, you know, a, a Guintelligence minor league pitcher of the year, I, I'd probably go with – I'd probably go with Lucchese, honestly, given his large body of success that he had. But I also have questions on whether he'll succeed at the major league level with his stuff and declining peripherals and, and things like that. Um, I'm not a Lauer guy. I don't think he's really going to be that successful at the major league level. I don't think Quantrill is that great. So like, I, maybe I'm not quite as bullish on those double-A guys as you. Um, I'm not saying they're going to be good. I think we're going to see a lot of Travis I just think that there's a chance Wood. that one of them is actually pretty reasonable – and that, you know, instead of going from Travis Wood to Kip Wells, you know, you're going to go from Travis Wood to, even if Travis Wood's pitching okay, it might be the case that one of those three names we just threw out there, or someone else who starts the year in high A or above, like a Logan Allen or something, is ready and is actually pitching well because they took another step forward. And so then you have to, I, I just think the floor on all the positions is a lot higher than it used to be, I think is really what it comes down to, right? Like, Starting yeah. second base gets hurt now. Okay, we have like four of those guys. 
in the past it was like starting second base gets hurt. All right, here comes 400 at bats from Alexia Marista. And it's like it, those are very different outcomes, I think. You know, you're looking at a, seriously a swing of like a win or two when that happens. So I think enough of those things happen that I don't see them tanking successfully next year. And it's frustrating because I thought they should have tanked last year and this uh, this year and next year. Whereas they're going to really end up with probably no super high draft picks out of these two years. Right. And if there's no better argument for the value of tanking, it's Mackenzie Gore, right? Right. Like, I don't no, know how exactly. someone can rave about Mackenzie Gore and then argue that uh, baseball draft picks are overrated. Right. No, I mean, generally people that are telling you that draft position doesn't matter in baseball, I mean, that's a good person not to really pay attention to. I get that the bust rate is higher in baseball, but when you actually look at the expected value of draft picks, it's a much steeper steeper descent from the top than almost any other sport besides the NBA. Right. Much steeper yeah, than mean, the NFL, for example. Yeah, I mean, we've discussed this. We've shown the data. Like, it's it's pretty much undisputed that that's the case. So, right. I don't know. Luis Robert would be real nice right about now. Yeah. Real nice. But, hey, you talked about changes. I know we talked about shortstop or whatever. But I was thinking the front office. Like, I know we have Gruppner now. I don't suspect Preller will go anywhere. I don't suspect Green will go anywhere. So it, it's kind of going to be, I think, a fairly quiet offseason. I could see them making some changes in some business departments. You know, maybe Partello's not safe. I, I think a lot of those things you might see change. But I don't see any major changes. I, I think it's going to be somewhat of a quiet offseason again. Well, it, yeah, it seems at this point that Eric Gruppner, the general counsel running the team, is probably here for another year uh i don't know about partello i know his contract is up in october so maybe i mean attendance was down uh about 10 percent, nine percent this year um following uh, last year where it was down so they're down about three they've basically given back all of the gains they've ever had um and you would have to assume attendance may be down even further next year with yeah, it'll, it'll be a rebuild right um you know a year further away from people that may have been sticky holding on to it from buying them for the all-star game you know it's i mean fowler admitted today you know season tickets were down quite a bit so um it's 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 possible he's gone i mean i think we've been pretty clear via the blog and the podcast we don't think he's done a, a good job at all um so i think that would be one welcome possibility for a lot of fans that are out there but other than that i don't really expect any any big changes yeah no i don't i don't, I don't predict any major changes i mean Gruppner unfortunately is here like is there a less did you have you listened to his interviews or do you just read my listening to cilio so you don't have to stuff it's 50 50 sometimes you'll you'll put a line out there that i'm like wow uh what was the context for that and i'll go listen to it um yeah. but for the most part i I don't listen to the Cilio podcast. I got my Darren like it, fix, my Darren Smith fix. I have a couple podcasts I listen to. You'll be but, on the pod. You'll be on the hacksaw train when he's back. Oh yeah, hell yeah. Uh, there's no one less compelling than Eric Gruppner, uh, like on the radio. Like Wayne Partello is a, a shyster, but at least he's has some personality and on air skills. Like there's no one more born, just no one more vanilla than Eric Gruppner talking about. Uh, celebrate San Diego, you know, presented by Budweiser, than 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 having the lawyer come onto the radio to to try to <laughs> yeah. try to get fans excited. 
Yeah. Like, is no, that a I, strategy that's ever worked in the history of business? I don't know. Yeah, he's really boring to listen to. Like, very – it's interesting. I'm trying to think of another sports figure in San Diego that's, like, quite that boring. But I can't really think of one. Bud Black was boring, I thought. But nah, Bud in a Black's, different way. In a different way, though. Jokes. He slings some jokes sometimes. He does, but it's a different type of boring. Um, yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm a Grubner fan, but it's it's tough. I, I haven't heard too much. Like I would say that his comments are a little alarming in relation to free agency and some of the other things. Um, on the other hand, some of the issues that I think have been made um, haven't been totally honest. Like like today, for example, I think there were some people complaining about the Padres stalling on the Holiday Bowl. Well, you know, I like as someone who's read those agreements, they're not supposed to pay for that. The city's supposed to pay for that, and that's if they even allow football at the stadium at all. So I don't think he's in the wrong to, you know, ask the city to fork over the money if they want to host that game. So that's not a complaint you're going to hear me make. But I would say in terms of the baseball stuff, it's it's been very, very boring. It's just kind of like a boring Garf, like like just a more boring version of him. Um, Garf is boring. No, I, that's, I'm not saying he was. I'm saying it's a boring version of him. I think a lot of the things he's saying is very backing Morad-esque that, that Garf did in terms of the free yeah. agent stuff and all that kind of stuff. I think that a lot of the, the terminology has been very similar. As the uh, ranking Garf hater, did you this – is, this is obviously going beyond the Padres, but did you enjoy his, uh, the shade that he threw at the, uh, at the it's such Yeah, I mean – I fucking hate the Chargers. Let's just throw that out hey, there. Mark, I, I am, yeah. You talk sure. about the Chargers. I need one yep. minute to throw my dinner into the oven. So you kill some time. All right, I will do that. So, yeah, um, I hate the Chargers right now, but I would say that Garf's interview was kind of a little um, non-pragmatic, right? It's He went on the air, in case you missed it, and he was asked basically why the Dolphins were able to get something done. And, you know, to their credit, they were able to get a stadium thing done. But one of the key takeaways from that was basically Garf saying, we didn't leave because we're the Miami Dolphins. Basically kind of like taking a pot shot at the the Chargers for leaving, even though their team name was the San Diego Chargers. And it's just such an easy thing to say after it's done. But if you go back and you actually, like, listen or read the newspapers articles in Miami during the time they were actually negotiating this, they were threatening to leave the entire time. So it's not like... It's not like they were some golden child that was any different than any other team acts. It's just that they finally were able to reach a deal that worked um, for them. So it's not – I think it's kind of an empty interview and an empty pot shot. Also, Garf really sucks at his job, like just he in general. He's great. He's great. No, he's, 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 the greatest, he's actually probably. He's actually pretty bad at his job. In, in my opinion, if you take a look at what the Dolphins are doing and you take a look at what he did here, he's, he's been a loser everywhere he's gone. But Can you imagine at the how same, great the at the same time he's with with him running the business side and and not touching baseball at all and having this baseball ops side. But that's but that's the thing. His his whole thing here was that he wanted to touch baseball ops and he did. He's he's a large reason why we don't have Anthony Rizzo. Maybe he's learned. Because as a you customer, know, I would rather I, I would rather have someone that would before. never make that mistake to begin with. And you and I and a lot of our listeners I've never there felt are people, more valued as a there are people than who listen Tom Garfinkel. That's fine, but that's not why I watch. I don't watch to feel good because the team president talked to me. I watched to watch the team win a World Series, and with him here, we got much further away, and we would not have gotten close. 
Like in that respect, I actually think I actually think Mike D was better in terms of getting us to the World Series. Just cause bite your tongue, bite your tongue, Harvard. <laughs> I'm not saying he was good. I, he's terrible, but um, I think he sort of backed into this rebuild, which is a better plan than we ever had under the previous administrations. So you're not going to get any positive words from Garf out of me. Plus, he's just Fine. a serial. Plus, he's a just a serial liar. Like. And um, who, who just like an overall bad person. Who do you think's running the team now? It's serial liars. Eric Gordon is a serial liar. Wayne Partell is a serial liar. I don't know if I don't know if that's all true. Um, I've had some off the off the um, off the it air dialogue with some people that it was that was factually accurate in retrospect. It means it does. It does when things are off the record. No, I mean if someone tells you something and it turns out to be true, that's that's nice and. I was told things off the record that turned out not to be true from Tom Garfinkel that were very obviously lies in retrospect and just said as lip service. Whereas now there are other people in place that have told me things off the record that have turned out to be true. And so that's a different level of credibility that you build. And I think it's like, I feel like once you really openly lie to someone's face and you completely disregard the way they feel, they should sandbag you and get you away from that thing they care a lot about. So I'm very glad Garf's gone. Very, very, very glad. And I take a lot of pleasure in watching the Dolphins set themselves back another half decade to decade under his tutelage there. Because they are, they're, they're very, very far away from winning. Anytime right, you bring in Jay Cutler, you're, you're in, terrible, you're in a terrible wow. place. Yeah. All right, let's get to the last topic. Yeah, Biggest sure. surprise and disappointment of this season. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest surprise was Lamette, right? I think before the year, he was kind of a fringe prospect that we didn't really know much about in terms of raw stuff and everything, unless you really read Mad Friars a lot because they were pretty spot on on him. But he was good, man. I I'm I like what I see in him. I don't know if he's ever going to be a number one or number two just because his arsenal is not very deep, but I enjoy watching him pitch. Like He has like a fieriness about him, too, that you can root for. And his peripherals, like in terms of strikeouts and walks, are really good, and that's at the major league level. So, I'm I'm super excited about him. He was my biggest surprise for the year in terms of individual players. Biggest disappointment, I think a lot of people will say Renfro here, but we kind of knew that. But I'm gonna say my biggest disappointment was actually just the average Padres fan this year because, and this all comes down to Will Myers because at the beginning of the year, if you criticize Will Myers, you are just completely sandbagged on twitter people hated you if you didn't like the will myers for trey turner trade told you you were an idiot all that kind of stuff at the end of the year it's very in vogue now to hate will myers and think that he's a bust and not worth his contract but if you look at the raw numbers he's like the same player he's always been so like nothing has changed just the way that some fans have chosen to look at him so that's my biggest disappointment is how fickle a lot of fans are towards some of our uh higher paid players well and he's he's exactly what we've been saying he is right he is slightly above average player who if you stack him up against the league's first baseman is certainly not your top choice or anywhere near your top choice for that position i agree but he's still worth that money it's still not a bad contract he is what he is yeah he's not uh he's not uh he's not going to carry us to a world series on his back right he's a he's a bit player at you know at best yeah, I think sometimes well, fans think Wally like... Wally Joyner didn't light the world on fire, but he, he contributed in his way and helped the Padres get to where they were going. 
He's right. by no means a superstar that single-handedly won them the World Series or got them to the World Series, right? And I kind of think that's what Will Myers is going to shape up into, a flawed but useful player. Yeah, and I think sometimes fans look at, you know, they look at your highest salary player and they expect them to perform like every other team's highest salary player. But, like, it's different when you have a guy in the books for, like, you know, 60 to 80 million versus other teams who have a guy in the books for 300 million. You should expect very different levels of performance out of them. So to hold Will Myers to, you know, uh, Giancarlo Stanton production levels or like oh. you know, I don't know you know the some absurd standard is very yeah. well the only caveat is that it's not just about like the the performance issues or, or however he's not even an issue but like how he's performing it's Will Myers has the also additional stigma of admittedly not trying and having lapses of effort and I think that's what rubs a lot of people, including me, the wrong way a lot of times with him. Like, he, he's not a guy yeah, that's going that to that kill with effort, right? He, he's not Tony Gwynn, you know, slaving in the video room. Hustling yeah, on I, every play, you know? And, and fans like, I mean, they like that irrationally sometimes. But there's no, you know, it's what you're taught early on when you play baseball. Like, trying your hardest and putting your, the most effort in, running out to first base... It doesn't cost you anything. Like anyone can do it, but not everyone does it. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think I think some of that's a little opaque, though, to the and fans. When you like, get we, cast, we don't see when you the work that they're team, doing behind the. But, but when you get cast yeah. by the team, and, and that that's the real problem here is the team, the marketing department built him up as the face of the franchise, right? The player that's going to lead us to the the promised land, and that was, you know, which we we've seen a lot out of this regime is. You know, a little bit of overpromising and setting expectations way above what they should be, and the inevitable result of that is is sometimes disappointment. And if they just said he's solid, he's uh, going to be a contributor, like I- I'm not sure that there would be the level of disappointment that there is. Because disappointment, yeah, I don't in disagree end, with that. Is, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't label it as like only by expectations. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't sign a player and be like, yeah, he's like solid a contributor i would you know you got to phrase it as like a building piece or whatever but yeah I, I think part of the problem is the 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 way that he's been presented to the fans um especially to the casual fan i'm sure they they see that and they're more likely to hold him to the level of other teams highest paid players um but i just feel like we've done this so many times and we never learn that lesson and we end up being very disappointed in someone who actually produces you know numbers that are uh in line with what they're getting paid and we end up with these knee-jerk reactions and it makes us worse as a team like i just keep harping on the jed jerkler trade but it's just another another scenario of that um so i i don't know i i try not to get caught up in the narratives in fact any post that talks about those sort of narratives or anything like that i just ignore it i've i've gone straight to the numbers these days and stuff like that so um that's my biggest point but if he had if i had to choose one that had to do with the team um, it's hard. I don't think there were any super major disappointments. I know people will say Renfro. Right? I, I thought but, you were going to say Will. I thought you were going to say Will Myers. I no. thought after the speech you were going to say Will Myers. It would have been no. funny. I would say Travis Jankowski. I mean, he just we before the year we thought of him as maybe like a high on base. He could run and play some good defense type of scrappy player, like maybe like a Rajay Davis, you know, like someone like that. And he just has basically turned into a nothing. So that's he's been a major disappointment for me. I know he was hurt, but still. 
trying to think. I mean, the obvious surprise is to say Fernando Tatis, right? Because he, he, I'm not going to say he came out of nowhere, but he kind of came out of nowhere, right? To now yeah. all of a sudden, from from not ranked in the top 100 to being possibly a top 10 in baseball prospect. Like, yeah. I, I don't know how you could classify a surprise more than that. Um, you could say Baez, probably also. Um, I, I, I'm trying to pin it down. I mean... It's got to be Tatis, right? It's Tatis. Tatis is the biggest surprise. Yeah, maybe what they got I, I, for I challenge, Trevor Cahill. I challenge Cahill. anyone to believe that, providing you know from his Dominican League stats last year, that they were expecting him to be a top ten player in baseball, uh, you know, top ten prospect in baseball. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I was going major league roster, but yeah, I, I think if you look at the organization, there's no question that his his production this year exceeded his expectation more than anyone else in the org, right? I mean, he's eight. he was essentially 18, absolutely dominating low A ball to the point where, like, every like to the point where Baseball America has, like, publicly apologized for how shitty they ranked him. Yeah. Like, that's, that's how big of a year he had. So, yeah, organizationally, I would definitely have him top. Yeah, and I think... I think fans are, are excited about him. Um, I'm hoping well, he should he plays be. On, on Saturday, you know, at the, at the Prospects game. Um, I think I, I still try to have some level of reservation with him. Um, I mean, you read things and you're like... I, I think Padres fans are imagining him being like A-Rod at shortstop. And maybe that's not a realistic expectation and he's still a long way from the major leagues. And I, I'm trying to reserve... You know, too much hope, but I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna get excited about someone, I, I guess it's him. And you know, and to some degree, I get a little fatigued with the just constant circle jerk of Padres fans. Of uh, man, Tatis sure is great. His development's so great. It's uh, it's looking bright. He's gonna be you know, leader of 2019. I'm not saying he won't be that, but. It's not a you know it's not a 99th percentile outcome happening. So I'm trying to reserve some excitement. But he's certainly been if we're talking surprising. I mean, I don't know how you could argue anyone else except him. What about disappointing? Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Austin Hedges. I I think his power. I think what gets lost in some of these power numbers like. Will Myers may hit his 30th home run the rest of the, you know sometime this week and and people will be talking about how he's a 30 run home run hitter but I think a lot that's been lost is that it's a historically high home run hitting year um, which to some degree devalues the home run and I think there are um, I think there's alarming issues with Austin Hedges at the plate um, obviously, defensively, he's great. I have no complaints. I mean, as long as there are real umpires, I think he's adding all kinds of value behind the plate. But I think I mean, it's you hard have to complaints say, about his 262 on base percentage. You're not satisfied <laughs> with a 262 on base percentage? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you could think it's not. I don't know how anyone could think it's not alarming. You know, it's it's it, it's it's scary, right? But because he's being cast as we don't have. There's no, there's no backup plan. I know there's a lot of talk about like Luis Camposano or whatever, but he didn't. Camposano didn't destroy the level he was at when he got called up, and he's four years away from the major leagues from handling a pitch, a major league pitching staff. Like, um, Hedges is it, and and 
he's not looking like a great hitter, and when you watch him hit, he doesn't look like a great hitter out there. Like, he, he had an incredible... If you take away the... Was it like a week where he hit like seven consecutive games with a home run or whatever, which is similar to what he did last year. He had a week or two where he just lit it up. You take away that week, and it's even worse. And it does worry me a little bit that he doesn't have the, the hit tool to get by in the major leagues. Yeah, I've, I've been and going through... And I'm not saying he's bad. He's not bad, because just off the defense, and this is what people have always said, just off the defense, he's still a useful, valuable player. But I think... I think we may have hoped for more. And and so I think that's a little bit disappointing. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, I was actually looking at uh, going back through um, old Padres catchers that they've had that have been, like, notoriously bad catchers and seeing if they ever even had a season where they had a 262 on base percentage. And I am struggling to find an example Ben Davis was always over. Wiki Gonzalez was always, like, many, many points over. I mean, obviously, they had a bunch of decent catchers along the way, too. You know, Carlos Hernandez and uh, Ramon. Um, Hernandez. Uh, names ex- yeah. Some, R- Ramon something Hispanic. Hernandez. Yeah. Ramon Hernandez. Hernandez. That's very yeah, yeah. racist, Marver. It's not very racist. It's an accurate description of the person's last name. Um. And, like, and a team can win with none, a, none of them ever had a John, season. This John Flaherty, bad. John Flaherty was very bad at hitting for the Padres, but he he contributed enough to to be useful on a, on a playoff team. So it's not it's not impossible. It's just I think a lot of people thought, given his uh, given the inflated statistics at El Paso, that he was going to do more. And I think a lot of people will probably argue the opposite of what I'm saying, based only on the home runs. I, I just. I think there are glaring red red flags in his performance at the plate this year. So yeah, I, I don't think there's a lot. I think cost, there's reason to be also. concerned. I think there but really is, and that's kind of why I said yeah. I thought that 2019, um, like I, I thought the first wave was slightly disappointing. I think Margot was good, and Lamette came out of nowhere and kind of basically saved quote unquote the wave, in my opinion. But um, there's no question that there are some serious question marks with regards to Renfro and Hedges. And I actually, I've actually reached a point where I think Renfro is more likely to be super useful than Hedges. Yeah, I, I don't actually disagree with that. I think, um, I, I think if we're talking chances of improvement in the future, I'd bet on, on, on Renfro's plate discipline to improve before I bet on the hit tool of Austin Hedges. Yeah. yeah. Now, Austin Hedges has a higher floor, given his defense. Absolutely, hundred percent um, agree. But we're trying to win the World Series, not have the highest floor. And you, you know? don't win. You don't win World Series with a bunch of two WAR players. Like I think. I think a lot of people are like, uh, you know, it's not so bad. Jose Perella did fine. Two two WAR player. Uh, Clayton Richard did a lot better than we expected. Two WAR player. Julius Chassin much better. Two WAR player. Like you don't win. You don't win championships with that. Like you win championships with four and five WAR players. Yeah, and the comparison and and the problem I've seen too is there's not really a good comparison for Hedges. Like, um, I know a lot of people are like, oh, he's like Yadier Molina, like really super defensive. He didn't hit at all early in his career, and those two comparisons are true. But the the crucial difference is that Yadier Molina didn't strike out at all early in his career. He had no power. He was small, you know, small compared to what he is now in terms of stature, and he just added more of that hit tool along the way. But he didn't strike out a lot, and Hedges just doesn't make contact. It's a very different 
plate problem than Yadier Molina had at the beginning of his career. So I don't think when you actually look at the comparisons, I don't think that's a I don't think they're comparable really at all at the plate. And so I really struggle to find a good example of a player like like Hedges who struggled so prolifically at the plate like this that ever ended up really putting it together. Um, it's which is somewhat concerning or maybe even very concerning. Yeah. And like I said, it's concerning. It's not a lost cause. Um, there's no, and no there's no reason to play anyone else. And there's no reason to play anyone else yet. And I'm, it kind of makes me, you know, I, I know we questioned, or you and I didn't question because you just draft, you know, the best players. But some people questioned why they took so many catchers in the MLB draft this year. But, you know, now with a year of Hedges' statistics under his belt, you know, it may, it gives me a little bit more reassurance that we still have a lot of guys that are being developed that play that position. It's not like we, oh, we got Hedges coming up. We can forget about catcher forever. Yeah, we're he's not perpetually, a slam dunk. No, not at all. Um, so I think next year will be a pretty big year for him in terms of where does he fit big picture. Yeah, I agree, although I don't really see them having any option other than riding it out with him. There, there's no one on the horizon that will be here within our championship window. And then Austin yeah. Allen might. I don't know if he's a defensive catcher, though. That's I, I've seen him play. I, I'm not exaggerating when I say he was the worst defender at any position that I saw this year. <laughs> it's possible, but can he pitch frame? That's something that you don't necessarily pick out when you're watching live, you know? He has and stone so hands. He, could... he drops pop flies. His throws to second base are mediocre at best. His, he's just... I don't think he's a catcher. He's not a guy you're going to count on as a catcher managing a pitching staff. Okay, so it sounds like you're a no. I'm not saying Austin <laughs> Allen's not a possible prospect, but I don't know if it's going to be a catcher. Yeah, I get I don't that. know if he's the savior over Austin Hedge. Given Austin Hedges' defensive prolificness, I don't think Austin Allen has what it takes to, to unseat Austin Hedges on a performance basis. That's fair. Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think in this podcast we've we've kind of captured that there's a lot of things to be hopeful about in the future, and at the same time, there are a lot of things left wanting that need to get done for this team to get to a championship level. Yeah, they need and a long term shortstop. There, there's a lot of things they need, right? There's I know, but it's just it's offense. just getting and like Ron Fowler. Ron Fowler on the radio today talked about. Well, the problem is we just need a little more pitching on this team, and like totally ignores the teams like 29th in offense. Um, yeah, with the first wave up here, right? Yeah. And I think I think there's this consensus that, well, you just need to get those pitchers up here and we'll be fine. But this per, this offense is is awful. So there's a lot of work across the board to get done, and complacency is the enemy of that of that mission. I think so. I think that from what I can gather from this podcast, we're both very hopeful and, and we believe the odds are certainly better than they were before of winning a championship. And probably in recent history as Padres fans, it's probably as high as it's, you know, our future hopes are probably as high as they've been in, in a long time. But, uh, I think we both hope that they stay the course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, real quick, uh, I know I talked about getting a long-term shortstop. I guess we'll probably have a lot of free agency, podcast coming up but i, I want to get r- really quick your impression on alcides escobar he's like the one guy who's a free agent shortstop and we were talking about changes that's not 
a complete throwaway, potentially. He's the only guy, I would say, when you look at the free agent list for shortstops, it isn't like Johnny Peralta or Eric Ibar. Like, he's like literally the name. Does that whet your appetite at all? It depends on how long we're signing him for, but he's uh, he's been a half-war player for two full seasons. His offense is awful. Uh, his defense is good. So he's a glove-first shortstop. And I would say... I would say, honestly, that I'm not all unhappy with Solarte just riding it out at shortstop. Like, he's not an answer for the next championship team, but he's already on a cheap contract. I I don't really know why you wouldn't just throw him out there. Like, if we're looking at preferable options for me, that's probably preferable option number one. So if Escobar was signable for, like, three years and $20 total... You would prefer the Escobar or the? Um, I'd stick with uh, Solarte. I mean, personally, Solarte. I'd stick with Solarte. Like, uh, not, and this isn't an, an endorsement of him at shortstop. Although, I just think, I think, what's the difference? Uh, call Guerra up, even. I don't. I just don't think it matters. There, El Cid's Escobar is not the answer for for a championship team, especially three years from now. So, what's the point? It's a Solarte, yeah, not no, I, the answer. Three years from now at shortstop, but he's already here and he's cheap. So, like, why would we waste uh, six million dollars a year on Alcides Escobar to hit, you know, two fifty here? No, I know, and and this is going back to the point I made before. Like, I one hundred percent agree with this, and I'm just highlighting how hard it is to actually get a shortstop, and why yeah. if they want one for two thousand twenty, they have to start now, because even the free agency now is nothing. So they have to start figuring things out now. That doesn't mean I mean, signing got, Jose Iglesias get? to a one-year deal. Yeah. We, oh God, that would be the worst. So, yeah, I mean, if he was I free, think, uh, if, he, if he's free, I prefer Jose Iglesias to any of the other options. But, but he's dang, not. I mean, there's no, he's not free. And there, there's got to be other options. Like, what are the Red Sox going to do? They have multiple shortstops right now. You know, they got to – you figure they might be in the – you know, at least part of the conversation for Brad Hand, and maybe you can get one of those shortstops away from them. Right. They have the Rockies, a couple of them. That the are... Rockies have, you know, Brendan Rodgers ready to come up. We've mentioned Trevor Story before, and I don't hate the idea of Trevor Story at shortstop here, but I still go back to, well, if you're going to get a, a guy that can hit okay, not really, but hit for power, and um, marginally field the position, like, Solarte can do that. Like, what are we doing? Why, why are we giving up prospects or, or, or money or whatever that could be spent later when there's a guy there that's under contract for not much? Like, it doesn't matter. They're not going to the playoffs next year. So just throw someone out there. It's fine. We'll live. Won't be as bad as Eric Ibar and Alexi, Amor- Alexi Ramirez or Alexi Amarista. Like, it's fine. Just don't give up anything. Don't trade for Jose Iglesias, basically. Yeah. Well, don't trade anything of value. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't got anything more. I mean, we could well, I don't talk have anything more else, but I think we should have some tank, kind of uh yeah, as the playoffs progress and whatever, I think uh we should probably have another podcast on uh on uh off-season moves, things like that. A little more detail on that. Um I'll go to the prospects game on Saturday. Uh hopefully I'll get some video and and stuff like that, but um since they're not televising it for some reason, so, uh, yeah, I think we'll do a podcast in a few weeks from now. Yeah, sounds good. I'll actually be out of the country for the World Series, so I will be away. 
Nice humble uh, Beautiful. It's good. Beautiful Fiji and New Zealand. It's going to be great. Ah, listen to that. On Miles? Uh, not entirely, no. Okay. So some of the ho- some of the hotel stuff, but uh, the flights, no. Okay. Yeah. And there's there's a method behind the madness on that one. Fiji Air doesn't play friendly with a lot of the other stuff. So. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, th- these yeah. are more advanced intermediate techni- techniques. Uh, you know, obviously I published a bunch of beginner yeah. steps. So. Yeah. All right, Marvert. Well, it's good to have you back on the podcast. Yeah, it's been a while. I've been yeah. super busy, man. But th- this is going to uh, – it's going to ramp up. I know I keep saying that, but it will. All right. And we good. might even have a third writer, right? We might even – Well, we I, haven't even a- I haven't issued I haven't sent an offer letter out or anything. Let's not yeah. – a little early to tease that before the board of directors meeting on this. <laughs> we need the drug test results to come back first. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, until next time, Padres fans, uh, go Padres.